Well, good morning, everybody. I am not Pastor Danny. Uh, sorry about that. A little, little uh, sidestep here this week, but that's okay. We're excited. God is good anyways, right? We're praying for Pastor Danny and trusting he's going to get better and there won't be any major issues. Uh, before we go in uh, to this, I, two things I want to take care of this morning, if I may. The first one is, um, this past Friday was a very special day for us. It was Andy's birthday. I don't know where Andy is at this point. I, don't, I can't see him. There he is, hiding by himself. At this point, I thought he'd rolled down under the pew somewhere, right? It was Andy's birthday on Friday, and I just want to, before we sing happy birthday to him and embarrass him fully, uh, I would just like to take a moment and just let him know how much I appreciate him, respect him. He is a uh, very talented, a hardworking man. Um, he loves Jesus. Uh, he uh, does a lot of things behind the scenes that nobody sees. I respect him uh, as a man of God, and that is a wonderful thing. So here we go. Ready? All right, let's point it towards him, all right? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Andy. Happy birthday to you. Yeah. All right. 29, yeah. The second thing I want to take care of before we get started is I just have to call out an individual that is here today that has not been here for a little while, and he is an absolute godly man that loves Jesus. He is one of the most generous individuals I've ever met in my life. He is a lover of Jesus who serves, um, who has moved to a state far, far away, unfortunately, but um, he's family to us, and I am so grateful to see him. I want to tell him that I love him. John King is in town with us this morning, so, John, it's good to see you. Appreciate you. All right. That being said, I, I came across something that was read this past week um, at a conference, and I, I just want to share it with you. Um, it says, a man was walking along a California beach, and he was deep in prayer. Suddenly the sky clouded above his head, and in a booming voice, the Lord said, Because you have tried to be faithful to me in all ways, I will grant you one request. The man said, Build a bridge to Hawaii so I can drive over it anytime I want. The Lord said, Your request is very materialistic. Think of the enormous challenges for that kind of undertaking. The supports to the bottom of the Pacific Ocean the concrete and steel that it would take. It will nearly exhaust every natural resource I have made. I can do it, but it is hard for me to justify your desire for worldly things. Take a little more time and think of something that would honor and glorify me. The man thought about it for a long time. And finally, he said, Lord, I wish that I could understand my wife. I want to know how she feels inside. What she's thinking when she gives me the silent treatment. Why she cries. What she means when she says nothing's wrong. And how I can make a woman truly happy. The Lord said, you want two lanes or four lanes on that bridge? <laughs> it's not my joke, so you can't get mad at me. 
Um, you know, I don't know what today's going to be, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'm excited um, to be here this morning. And I want to pick up where uh, Pastor Danny left off last week in Exodus. And um, I'm going to read a few of the verses. I'm actually going to read a few of the verses in Exodus 15 before we get into chapter 16. And, and uh, Danny just did such a great job in his message last week, and, and so I'm going to steal some of it from him. Uh, and, and unless he's watching, he won't know, so don't tell him. Um, but anyways, I, I do want to read through it, and, and then I'm just going to, actually, I just want to have a little talk, conversation with you about some stuff and see what God does. Amen? So we're going to start in Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. And it says this. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of, of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, what shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statue and an ordinance, or a regulation for them, and there he tested them and said, if you diligently heed my voice of the Lord and your, your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elim, where they were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees, so they camped there by the waters. Verse 1, chapter 16. And they joined, and they, excuse me, and they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness, I believe it's pronounced Sin, which uh, is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, at, at evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? Also Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, and in the morning bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord." You know, as I was studying for chapter 16, it, it, I realized how important that last section of chapter 15 really was. 
And when you, when you, what stood out to me in both chapters is this word that the Lord is going to test them. That he says in, in chapter 15, he says, look, that I, I set statutes and regulations, and it says that he tested them there. And then when you get into chapter 16, around verse 4, it says the same thing. He says that I'm going to test them. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Because, you know, I've always been taught and raised that God's not going to test us or God's not going to tempt us or whatever. And that word could be kind of, depending on where you look, the, t- the definition could say temptation or, or tempt. And as I began to dig a little bit further into it, what you begin to find out is, is that the really, coming up with a, de- a definition for what that word actually means, it's not like, oh, it means this, right? There's several different components to it. And so I'm going to do my best to walk you through that, and then I want to get into some, some of the key takeaways, I think, from these two chapters, or these two sec- sections of, of Scripture. The first thing, when it, when it talks about tempting, it, it, in the definition that it gives, it gives an example. And it says, it says that God usually tries or proves, because your translation may say prove in your Bible, God usually pr- tries or proves men through adversity. To prove their faith. Make sense? But men usually tempt God because they don't believe he can provide. You see the absence of faith there, correct? So the difference in the two things and the way that this word kind of speaks as you read these verses is God isn't tempting them. God has allowed adversity in their life to what? to test them, to prove them, to see what they're made of, to see where they are in their walk. Where is their faith at? Are they going to, and what does he say in verse 4 of chapter 16? What does he say? He says what? He says, if, or excuse me, I apologize. In 1526, he says, if they follow my ways and my commands, right? Same thing goes on in chapter 16, that how we behave, how we react in the midst of that trial, in the midst of that adversity, is what God is trying to see in the midst of, this, of, this, of these two sections. So what I find is this, is that God is looking to the children of Israel for something, and he wants to test them. And the, the, the best example that I can come up with in terms of what to explain what testing looks like is something like this. So, you know, I used to work in a steel company, and we would make these steel cylinders that would be pressure vessel quality, right? So they had to withstand a lot of pressure and a lot of water and air, whatever was being put inside of them. And what would happen is after we would do all this work, we checked all the welds and make sure everything was put together the right way. Then we had to fill it and actually test that it was going to work, right? That it wasn't going to break down under the pressure of whatever the pressure it was designed for. Makes sense, right? Because you don't want to send it somewhere and have it break. So you would add water, you would add air, whatever it was, you'd ramp up the pressure and have to sit there for a couple of days to make sure it was going to hold. And what would happen is if there were cracks in the weld or there were um, some sort of debris in the weld when we put it in there, if it wasn't made correctly, if we used the wrong type of material, it would show. It would burst, it would leak, it would cause a problem. And what I believe happens most, many times in our lives is that God brings, uh, God allows adversity into our life to test us to try us, to see where we are in our, in our faith. Because when, when, when God says this to the children of Israel, clearly he's looking for something, right? He wants to know if they're going to follow his ways, if they're going to follow his statutes. 
And, and what, you, what, what struck me, and, and I'm sure it's, it strikes you as well, is that here they are at, at uh, the, the Red Sea. They've, they've left Egypt. They've walked 20-some days, 25 days, 28 days. They're at the Red Sea. God literally parts the Red Sea so they can all walk across on dry land. They get tomorrow, which is only a three-day's journey, and now they're upset because they have no water to drink, and they think that Moses has brought them out there to die of thirst, Right? And what's interesting about that is what's harder, to part the Red Sea, walk on dry land, or make bitter water sweet? It wasn't that long ago that they just experienced the miraculous power of God at the Red Sea. It wasn't that long ago that they were just let out of Egypt with everything. Here's gold, here's water, here's cattle, here's this. Go in peace. Get out of our land because we don't want you here anymore. An absolute miracle of God. And what you look at when you see that is that every time you're in adversity, it puts you in the position to receive a miracle. And what happens is most, more, mo, mo, most times, there's not, never usually a miracle unless there's some adversity before it. Not all the time, but that's usually what brings us to that point. And, and, and what, I, what I look at when I look at this chapter and you get into verse 16 is, so he makes the bitter water sweet and they travel another five or six days. And they get to a spot, and, and, and a lot of the commentators say, and, and, and it said, that they weren't even out of food yet. They'd eaten their last portion. And now they're saying, you brought us out here to kill the whole assembly from hunger? And, and what's interesting about it is that literally they accuse God. I mean, the way it's written is they're actually saying, you planned this all along to bring us out into the wilderness to die of hunger. And, and it's, it's, it's shocking to me, right? And, I, and as we read it, you think, wow, that, those Israelites, man, you know, they're... And then I started feeling this little voice in the back of my head saying, yeah, that's you. Anybody else feel that way? Anybody else feel like you're in the middle of a trial and you just feel like, you know what, I got nothing left. I got nothing left. You know, God, I, I, you brought, did you bring me here to just leave me? Have you ever felt that way? Why do we feel that way? What you find is most of the time, it's because we have forgotten what God has done for us in the past. You see, that's a common thing in this culture, right? Leave stones of remembrance, build an altar, pass it on generation to generation, let them know what God has done for you, right? And remember it. Oh, don't forget, you know? And, and, and I think that there's certain components of that, that that we have to look at our own selves in the, in the mirror and go, hey, that's me. I've done that. I've responded that way to God. And what I didn't understand when I was thinking about all of it is, is, is what that really means. It says that men, on the other hand, are said to prove or tempt God when they doubt his power to bring aid. So what am I doing when I don't believe that God is going to be faithful to his own character? I mean, when, when, when that happened in verse 15, he, he, he received, he gave himself the name Jehovah Rapha, right? I am the physician, the healer. That's what he said, right? But in the midst of all of that, when they, when they were saying, God, you know what, what did you bring us here to die? It's like they're not believing God. But what you saw is, is when he did what he did, is that his nature, he gave himself a name that attributes it to his nature. Jehovah Rapha is who God is. It's not like he can choose not to perform based on who he is, his nature, his character. That's him. And, and the reality of it is, is that when we don't 
trust him in the midst of that difficulty, and I'm, I had to preach this message to myself in the mirror, that when, I, when we don't trust him, what are we doing? We're tempting God. We're not believing him. And, and, and again, I, I tried to come up with a way to kind of make it stick home, right? I mean, the reality of it is stories are the best way to do that. And honestly, I, I have many stories where I didn't do so well and only a couple where I probably did very well. But that's something I believe God is working on in my life. Because in the midst of that circumstance, you have to have faith to believe that God is going to do what his nature requires him to do. You see, it's not, it's not even an option. That's the thing that I try to really, I try to really get my head around. If, you know, everybody says I'm a type A personality, I don't try to be a type A personality. I mean, my wife probably wishes I wasn't a type A personality sometimes, but that's who I am, right? It, it, it's just in my nature. My wife is very kind and gracious. That's in her nature, you know? Um, Everybody has that. And I, and I think that when we look at who God is, this is one of those things that we have to recognize. That we have to begin to step back for a second when we're in a situation and say, God, why am I having a problem trusting you at this moment in time for whatever it is? What you find is remembrance plays a big part of it, but also you've allowed anxiety or fear or worry or doubt to come into your life. And you've, you've taken that as, oh, man, I, I don't know if this is going to happen. Whatever the thought process comes. When you take that type of thought process into your life, you take in a thought process that is contrary to God's nature. You take in a thought process that is contrary to God's word. You're embracing something that is not intended for you to have. Now, I'm not saying you, you're not supposed to look at something and say, hey, that person has a gun and they're pointing it at me and they're going to shoot me. I'm not saying you shouldn't feel fear at that moment in time and run, right? I'm saying you always run the worst scenario in your mind long before anything ever happens and in the midst of it, it never even gets to that point, right? Something, it, it's never nearly what you think it's going to be. But how, how much does fear paralyze you in the midst of that? When you're, when you're walking with fear or anxiety or worry or doubt in your life, how do other people see you that aren't believers? And if they know you're a Christian and they see you respond in a way that somebody that doesn't have the peace of Jesus Christ, that somebody that doesn't have the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ in their life, what is that displaying to them? You see, God calls us to be light, right? People look to us. They want to see us as believers walk and behave in a certain way. And God, God needs us to walk and behave in a certain way. So when we don't, we step into something that we shouldn't. We attach ourselves to something that is not meant for us. It's, it's from the enemy. When you talk about the fact that, that we have to have faith, we all, and, and I, you know, a lot of times you hear the word, you know, belief or believe and faith. You know, there really is a big difference between those two. Because a lot of people say, oh, I, I believe Jesus is real. I believe Jesus could heal. I believe Jesus could, you know, get me this job that I need or that or whatever. I, I, I believe that he can do that. But, I mean, the scripture says that even the demons believe, right? What we're talking about is something different. When you say I have faith, it means I believe God will do this for me in my life. 
I believe God will solve this problem in my life. I believe God will restore my marriage. I believe God will provide financially. Not only do I believe it, but I'm going to begin to act upon it. I'm going to get, begin to, to purposely say, okay, God, you know what? I'm not going to act in this way of, oh, woe is me. This is where I'm at. I'm going to step into something different. A faith that says, I believe the word of God, it's truth, and I know God will perform based on the way that he says he's going to perform. Right? And when I say that, it's, it's in his, again, I'm, I don't want to, this, this isn't creating like a slot machine, right? I can get anything I want from God. You know, I just pull the, whatever I want. That's not what we're talking about. What we are talking about is the reality of, of God's nature and who he is and what he has committed to us in his word. And when you look in the word of God, it makes it very clear that he, he is good. He is a father. He wants to bless us. He wants to heal us. He wants to restore us. He wants to establish us. He wants to provide for us. Those are all the things that God says in his word that he wants to do. So when you talk about wanting to see faith, and again, when you start talking about faith, um, is, you know, the simplest example I could come up with is, you know, when you have a, a chair sitting behind you, you know, when you first, when you're young, you first get your first, like, uh, set that you have to build for your kids, you know, and you, you, you're putting it all together, and you've you you got a couple screws left, you're like, I think it'll be okay, right? <laughs> Should I test it? Right? You're going to test it, right? How many of you have tested something, like, sit on it, and it didn't work, right? Or whatever it might be. But the fact is, the first time you look at it, you think, mm, I'm not sure that table's going to hold me. I've had that problem. Anyway, so you look at it and you think, um, you, you put a little weight on it, yeah, I should be fine, right? And then you sit on it, you're like, okay, yeah, I'm good, right? Or a chair, same thing. Well, the first couple of times you look at it, you, you, maybe you had a little question because the chair looks old, looks rickety, whatever. But after about the 15th time of sitting on it, you don't think about it anymore, right? You know it's going to support you. The other example is my wife gave me from a book. I thought it was a great example. There was this old, really old bridge, rickety bridge, and this person used to drive across it, and it used to make them scared when they were a child because it didn't look like it was going to hold. And then they just kept driving over, driving, and eventually it was like, there was, you know, you drive over it, you look back, oh, yeah, bridge is going to hold me just fine every time. It's just that you get to a point where your belief doesn't ever doubt it. And what God reminded me of is, okay, Scott, so make a list of all the things I've done for you in your life where I was there and I met your need, whatever it might be. Now, I don't know about you, but my list is pretty long. I'm pretty certain that your list is pretty long. Because God is faithful to his word. He's faithful to his character. And, and the hard part is, we have a tendency as human beings to let circumstances or things that occur in our life to rob us at a time where we most need that faith. I've shared before about what happened at the job I used to have where, I, you know, it was out of nowhere. I, 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 something occurred, and I was suspended, and it was this, I'd never even had a write-up, been in trouble in any of my jobs, and this, this thing occurred, and I mean, it, it knocked the wind out of me. I mean, in a big way. I look back at it now, I'm like, geez, man, I should have responded better than that. But in the midst of it, it was extremely painful, and it was extremely overwhelming and all the things in my head that would run around with me losing my job what would that look like where would I go how would I function how long would it take me to find another job where I could make all of our bills and you know how, all the things that you can think of right the scenario the enemy just threw everything in the, in the kitchen sink at me and what did it take to get me out of that spot you know what it took 
sitting on the couch for two or three hours in the morning, reading, praying, seeking the face of God, worshiping, right? Because I wasn't going to work, so I might as well do something with my time, right? And then as a result of it, what happened? God began to restore my faith. God, you're, you have this. Now, I would love to tell you that the next day it was all gone. That's not the way it works sometimes. You see, God required of that for me for several days. And it wasn't until probably almost the full two weeks that I was like, look, if I lose my job, I lose my job. God's in control. I was at that point. Nothing else I could do about it anyways. But the truth of the matter is that we have to have faith in the midst of our storm. We have to have faith in the middle of whatever it is that, that we're going through in our life. And that faith is different than just believing, yeah, God could heal me if he wants to. Okay, but let's, let's go another step. God, I have faith that you're going to heal me. Now, let's just make sure we understand each other. In Hebrews, it's very clear. There are many that died believing the promises of God, right? We're not talking you're always going to be healed and you're always going to live forever. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about God is good and God is faithful and God is true to his word. And God wants to heal. God wishes that none would perish as well, right? But a lot of people will decide to, to reject God and go to hell. But what we're talking about in faith is to take a different approach. To say, God, this is what I've seen in your word. I am going to model that. Because in the modeling of it, what does God see? He sees our faith. He doesn't see our unbelief and our lack of faith. The other thing that I, as I look at in, in, in those two chapters is, you know, God really wanted obedience from the children of Israel. He wanted them simply just to obey his statutes, to do what he was asking them to do. Now, you know, I would love to tell you I was a very obedient, compliant child. Those of you that have been to mums or know me know that is not the case. And I shared this story a while back, but I'll share it again. I remember one time getting a call from my wife saying, look, I can't pick up your son from school anymore. You got to go get him. I'm like, what? I'm at work. No, you got to go pick him up. I just can't take it. He's in trouble again at school. I'm like, oh, okay. So I go to church. I mean, I go to school. It was at a church. I go to school, and I go to pick him up, and I walk up to the teacher. I say, hi, I'm, I'm, I'm Kyle Britt's dad, and I heard he had a rough day. Oh, yeah, he had another rough day. I take out a piece of paper, and I hand it to her, and I said, it's all my mom's fault. That's her phone number right there. Call her. And she's looking at me, and I'm like, see, my mom told me, even when I was little, I'm going to pray you have a son just like you, and, and that's him right there in line. Look, the, the point of it is, I, I, you know, I was all over the place, right? Obedience was not a word in my vocabulary. If she told me not to, I would do it. That's just the way it was. And I was going to do it multiple times <laughs> until I got caught, right? I mean, the, 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 the beauty of it is God always had me get caught. I mean, it was, I could say that now, but in the middle of it, like, geez, I can hardly get away with it, but twice before I get caught. The, the point is this, is that inside of us, we all have a choice to be obedient to what God asks us to do. And, and, and I mean, the spectrum of what God can ask you to do is wide open, Right? It can be simply go pray for that person, right? Give that person $10. 
You know what? Pick that person up and take them somewhere. Hey, there's a person at church that needs this. Give that to them. It doesn't matter what God's asking us to do, right? God asks us stuff all the time. Hey, go in and apologize to your wife. Why? I know God. She did this first. She really needs to come apologize to me. <laughs> go reconcile with your son who you just embarrassed in front of his friends. It happens, right? What keeps us from going? What keeps us from being obedient sometimes? It's pride. The, the reality of, of what God is, is looking at from the children of Israel, he's treating them like, hey, look, you've been in captivity for 400 years. You, you're, you're 30 days, maybe 45 days into freedom. You've had to cross the Red Sea. I've had to turn water sweet. I've had to give you food, right? And, and now you, you, you're still complaining that I'm basically going to try to kill you out here. I don't understand what the problem is. And, and what we know, because we know, all know the story, as they go down, it just happens over. It's kind of like a cycle for them, right? It was a cycle for me. I wasn't, you know, I, I don't understand why. I just, that was who I was. That was my nature. I was going to do everything the way I thought I wanted to do it, and I was not going to listen. But God punishes, right? Mom punishes. I know God punishes too. And, 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 but what God does is, is not, it's not punishment as much as it is, hey, listen, there are consequences for your actions. You disobey, there is discipline. Again, and, and when you think about what obedience is supposed to be, and then you look at, again, I go back to this again. Men, on the other hand, are said to prove or tempt God when they doubt his power to aid. When we doubt God's power or his willingness to do something for us. Obedience is an important aspect of what the children of Israel were supposed to do. It, another area, and I mentioned it briefly before, is remembrance. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, it, it's Moses, and he's reflecting back, and he tells the children of Israel, look, whatever you do, don't forget what God did for you. Remember what he did. Remember how he did all these things and how he tested you to prove your faith. Remember it. Don't forget. Lest when you get your houses and you do all this and you have all this, that you forget that it was God that saved you. Don't forget. Remember. And, and, and what... What I, what I always look at, and I mentioned it earlier, is, is that when you sense how quickly things were happening, how did they not look at it and go, okay, wait, before I murmur and complain about this, what just happened three days ago? Wasn't there somebody in the group saying, hey, you guys, do we not remember what God just did? Do we not remember the Red Sea? Do we not remember leaving the, you know, the, the Egypt? How could we... Do we really think God is going to do that to us, bring us out here to die? The part that really struck me in that story was when they said, we wish that, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt. They wish that they hadn't even ever been left so they could die with a full stomach instead of dying out in the wilderness. Think about the audacity of that, Right? And when I, th when I talk about remembrance, it's, it's what I mentioned early on because it's such an important part of what we're talking about. Remembran remembrance truly is, I think, the key to increasing your faith. Remembrance really is the key to increasing your obedience. 
You see, remembrance is what gives you the ability to say, I see God, I know what God has done for me in my life. This is nothing for him. I trust him. God, you want me to do this? It doesn't make sense in the natural, but that's okay. I'm going to do it because you know what? I believe in you and I trust you. And by the way, if you're a believer, if you're a believer, you're going to do things, you, you know, let's just take something, for example, comes up and there's a decision you have to make, it's a financial decision, and, and you feel like you're supposed to do it, but you begin to reason. You know, financially, that's not really smart. And all the best investors and this and that, they really tell you that I shouldn't do that, da, da, da. but you just have this sense that God is telling you to do this. You know, I just don't think I should do that. I really believe. You see, when you begin to reason without the Holy Spirit, when you begin to, to, to apply sensible logic without the Holy Spirit in your life, it's just man-made reason and man-made sensibility. How many, is, how many people in this room have ever had God tell them to do something that didn't make any sense at all? A lot, right? And did you do it? And when you did it, was God, still, was God faithful? Absolutely, right? You see, the reality of what God requires of us sometimes is outside of what we look at as logical. I mean, that's just the way he is. And the Bible's full of those types of examples, right? Didn't make any sense. What do you mean you want me to go dip in the river seven times? But if he didn't dip in the river seven times, he wasn't going to get healed of leprosy, was he? All he had to do, why can't you just say be healed and God heal him? Well, that could have happened. But God didn't do that for him. And many times God requires that same childlike faith. Okay, God, you say do it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go where you tell me to go. I'm going to do what you tell me to do. I'm going to say what you tell me to do. Right? I mean, the reality of it is, is that sometimes we live in a world that dictates what's right and what's wrong, and that's not really what God's rules are. The craziest thing that God could ask you to do, if you're, if you're obedient to it, it's the safest, most prosperous, wonderful place you could ever be in your life. doesn't matter what the world thinks. Now, I'm not telling you to go out and just spend money frivolously and do whatever. That's not what I'm saying either. What I am saying is if God tells you to do something, take advantage of the opportunity and say, this is insider whatever. I got God on my side. There was a time where the Lord asked Linda and I to do something, and we, we were like, man, I don't know. That just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But we did it anyways. And I can, I can tell you God was faithful. And it was a major decision of ours. We had no idea what, what we were doing other than, okay, God. And the person that we told that was a believer said, this is what we're going to do. She's like, you guys are out of your mind. We're like, no, no, we, we really believe this is what God is speaking to us. So my encouragement to you is begin to include the Holy Spirit in your decision-making thought process. Begin to ask him, God, I know this, I, I know this makes sense. What do you think? I mean, we don't live according to God's economy, do we? We live according, excuse me, we don't live the man's economy. We live according to God's economy. And we have to trust that. We have to trust that in everything. It's not just finances. It's raising our children. It's, it's relationships. It's whatever you can think of. It's our responsibility to behave in a way that is according to God and his faithfulness. One of the last things that I, I want to mention about this chapter is, and, and what I think um, 
I took from it as well as this. And I mentioned it, I think, just a few minutes ago, as the word expectation came to my mind. And I really felt like, you know, the children of Israel should have expected God to do what he had done in the past. I mean, I know that sounds strange, but it's, it's and I'm not saying it in a, I just think, I really believe that we, sometimes we just discount the fact that God can do whatever he wants. I mean, we need to be able to say, okay, God, I have an expectation that you are going to act and, and you are going to move according to your word and you are going to move according to your nature and your character. That's a logical ex- expectation. It's illogical when you don't expect it. And there are many times in the Bible, just as we talked about, one of the ones I love and is a story that I, I just recently heard was a story about the, the woman who came and touched the hem of his garment. And nobody else had ever been healed by that yet. But she went and did it. And the minute she touched the hem of his garment, she was expecting to be healed, and she was healed. But what you find a few chapters later in one of the other Gospels is the people ask, look, just let people get next to you so they can just touch the hem of your garment so they can be healed. So what happens is the word of God spreads, right? People are talking about this woman that got healed by touching his garment because it's made a big public spectacle because of who she was and what her ailment was. And as a result of that, now there's a whole group of people that are saying, hey, all they have to do is touch his garment and we can be healed. See, it it fosters faith. It creates the understanding of God really is who he says he is. God really performs miracles. God really moves the way he says he's going to move. And again, it doesn't mean everybody is healed, but it does mean you go with an expectation of who God is. The other one that I like to talk about is the centurion. It's the one of great faith where he walks up and says, hey, my servant's back at the house. He's not doing so well. He's in terrible pain. And God said, or Jesus says, you want me to come to your house and heal him? And he goes, no, you're, you're, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. I'm a man of leadership. I tell my men to go, they go. I tell my men to come, they come. All you have to do is say it, and my, my, my uh, servant will be healed. And Jesus says what? To, not, to a, not to a Jew, but to a, a centurion. Jesus says what? You're... Your centurion, um, no greater faith have I seen. Your servant's healed, right? And he goes back, and sure enough, his servant is healed. That, to me, is one of those moments in time where you say, so where am I in, in, the, in, in the genre of expectation? You know, I pray for people. I, I believe God's going to do something. I believe God can do something. But I, I don't want to live in I believe God can. I want to start believing in the fact that, hey, you know what? I believe God will. And that doesn't mean that instantly it's going it's, it's to work and God's going to heal people. But I've, I've prayed for people and they've been healed. I, I've done it before. I've, I, I've seen God move in miraculous ways. I've prayed for people and they haven't been healed. I can't tell you why. That's up to God. That's not up to me. But all I know is, is that when I read this passage in chapter 15 and in chapter 16 about the... Um, about the Israelites, and they're, and they're traveling out of Egypt, I just began to see that there were pockets of, of, of myself in there, not believing even though I'd seen God do this, not, not being obedient even though I'd seen God do that, not, not wanting to take the risk to look foolish because I'd seen, you know, even though I'd seen God do things like that, I just, I wasn't bringing it to remembrance. I wasn't sitting like that time that we sat all those hours and read and prayed because I needed to get my mind reset to believe in the God that I know and the God that I serve. 
You see, there was something different after that moment in time. It was like a resetting of faith in my life. It doesn't mean I wasn't saved and didn't believe in Jesus. It's just there's more to our Christian faith than going to her job every day, struggling to get through it or having a wonderful job, whatever it might be, coming back home, go to church on Sundays, right? There's more to our life and our faith and what we're supposed to be doing than, than sometimes what we do. We, we, have, and we have the spirit of the living God who lives and dwells inside of us. And I was so challenged a few days ago when I heard this man say, look, when you walk into a room it should change the atmosphere of the room you walk into. Not because of you, but because of the Holy Spirit who lives and dwells inside of you. We're sons and daughters of the, of the King of kings and Lord of lords. The, the third person of the Trinity lives and dwells inside of us. But if, if we're reacting like people that, that don't have access to that, if we're reacting and we're afraid and we're worried and we're doubtful and we're anxious and we're all the things opposite to that and one of the things I have to do is I'm told that when I'm at rest and I'm just sitting there listening intently my face says otherwise had a boss tell me one time I walked in he says hey you happy I said he goes tell your face The point is, is that if that's what they see and I'm rough and I'm miserable and I'm unhappy all the time, oh, he's a, he's a Christian? He believes in Jesus? Why would I ever want to go to his church? I'm, I, look, I am the biggest, <laughs> I'm, again, I preached myself in the mirror on this. And I'm not going to be perfect at it, so next Sunday if I blow you off or something like that, I didn't do it on purpose, but... <laughs> But the point is what? Do you understand the reality of of where we should be living? Now, maybe a lot of you are living there, and that's wonderful, and I'm grateful. And you're an example to me to see. And there are some people that I know that live that way. And, And what I'm telling you is, though, it's not just for one person. We all should be acting and behaving with the idea, the concept of, hey, I have eternal life with Christ when I die. I have nothing, I have no disappointment in my future. It doesn't matter what the world does to me. It doesn't matter what happens from here on out. It doesn't matter one bit. You know why? Because my eternity is sealed in Jesus Christ. And I have the answer to every problem that you have. It doesn't matter what problem you bring to me. It's Jesus Christ. That's the answer. You want to find the answer? It's in the Bible. And, and, And you know what? Hey, I need to find more joy in my life. I need to be the person that walks in that, that is uh, gregarious and outgoing and not unhappy all the time. Because I can be that person. But that didn't used to be who I was. And I allowed the enemy to rob something from me. I allowed the enemy to take something from me in a moment in time that I didn't even realize it happened. So, so, what I, want to, what I really want to do is this. I really want to make sure that before we go, and we're going to pray, before we go, that you understand a couple of things. One, I believe with all of my heart that if you're sick, God wants to heal you. I, I believe that. I'm willing to pray for you if you want to get healed. That, that's, that's my first one. The second one is, I don't want to behave like the children of Israel did. 
I don't want to spend 40 years going in a circle because I'm not willing to trust God when I know that God can do anything he wants anytime he wants. I've seen, it, I've seen him do it in my life. I've seen him save my son at five years old from basically what we thought was going to kill him, a third surgery. And God turned it around in an instant. I've seen him when I had my hand stuck in a garage door. My brother cheated and he was pulling the garage door and he cut my hand. You could almost see all the way through my hand. Sat on my mom's lap. She prayed the pain would go away and instantly the pain went away. Now it didn't heal where there was no, no, no um, it didn't instantly heal, but I can tell you there's no scar either. I, I've seen things happen. When I, we used to go to Melody Land and I was young, I saw people get healed that came in a wheelchair and walked out of the building. Right? I mean, I've seen it happen. It, God still heals today. Amen. Our mindset is that, well, God can. But, but what if we all decided to say, no, I'm not going to just believe God can anymore. I'm going to believe God will. And I'm going to contend for what God will. And, and if you get healed, praise God. And if you don't, that's okay. God's in control. He's sovereign. He knows better than I know. But all I know is, don't you want more from, from day to day than just what it is currently? I got to tell you, we live in a society that if they walk in that door and there's no power in this church, if they, and I'm, we have power. I'm not saying we don't, trust me. If, we, if people walk in and they find a church and it's basically just no different than anywhere else they go, why are they going to stay? We, we have to have the love of Jesus, which I believe we do. We are the, I mean, that is one thing we excel at, is the joy of the Lord and the goodness of the Lord when people walk in the door. But let's, let's keep going with it. Let's, let's use the gifts that God has given us. Let's begin to pray for the sick. Let's begin to, to come in and say, you know what? What are we going to contend for next? Who's, whose son or daughter is out and not living for Christ? Let's pray them into the, into the church. We prayed for, for, for kids that were, that were gone for, from, from the Lord for years in, in, the, in our men's Bible study, and God brought them back. I know God answers prayer Amen. today. I have a question to ask. How many of you have had God do something supernatural in your life, whether it's financial, whether it's physical, whatever? Stand up if God's done something supernatural in your life. Just stand up. If he hasn't, there's no shame. Just, just stand up. Why is that important? I want you to look around for a second. So when I talk like this, everybody in here has experienced what I'm saying. Don't you want to be able to go to your job tomorrow or, 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 or Tuesday or whatever it is, go to your job tomorrow and say, hey, you know what? I know you've been battling this. You know what? I, I'm going to, I want to, is it okay if I pray for you? If somebody comes to you and says, hey, you know, I've just been diagnosed, I want you to know that God can use you to speak life into that person and heal that person instantly. That's the reality of what God has called us to do, right? What does God call us to do in the Great Commission? Go out and what? Heal the sick, right? Preach the gospel, raise the dead, right? Lame shall walk. It's all in there. But we get caught in our day-to-day -day lives. I'm, we get caught in our day-to-day -day lives. And you're just trying to make it to Friday so you can rest up and come to church on Sunday. And get fed because the world we're living in is dark, is it not? 
We are the light of the world, at least we're supposed to be. And maybe, and I believe that we are, but we should be a whole lot brighter. We should have a whole lot more that says, and, and this is the capital C for the church everywhere. We should be out making a larger impact in the society that we're in. We have that opportunity. I know God's called some of you to certain things. And whatever they are, continue to do them. But I also believe that we, we have a sphere of influence. And we need to begin to operate in that sphere of influence. Whether it's here, whether it's at home, whether it's at church, I mean, whether it's at work, whatever it might be. Don't be satisfied with wherever you are today. You may be years down the road from what I'm talking about already. You're already doing it. Fantastic. But you know what? I love the fact that we will never really truly understand who God is till we get to heaven. We will never experience all the joy, all the peace, all the comfort, all the encouragement, all the love, all the forgiveness, all the, all the miracles that he wants to do in our lives. We, we can go through life and be content with where we are. Or we can say, no, I, I want more, God. I just want more. I'm not looking for anything crazy. God, I just want you. I want more of you in my life. And more of him in your life is going to mean a whole lot more than what you're seeing right now. Because you can't have the, the, the Christ, the Son of God, and not the power that goes with it. You can choose to limit it, but if you receive it and you walk in it, God is going to begin to do things in your life. It's just, we have to, we ha and I'm not talking about hype, right? Creating emotion to try to force something to happen. I'm talking about the sovereign touch of the living God. The Holy Spirit that moves in your life and begins to say, I've called you for this. Operate in this. Move in this. Because that's what I truly believe God wants to do. I know I've kind of gone over, but it, I, I really want to make this uh, op opportunity. Benny, would you be able to come up and play something real quick, please? Charm. Not charm. I'm sorry. <laughs> My bad. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close in prayer. And if you feel like you're done and you're good to go, that's, that's great. No, no, no problem there. As they begin to, to play, if you want more of God, you just decided, you know what, I, I want to go for it. And, and again, maybe you already have and maybe you just want to go further. Maybe you want healing for something. I know there's people here that would be happy to pray for you. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll pray for you in a minute. We'll pray for you in a minute. No problem, you got it. Thank you very much for sharing. That's what we're supposed to be, right? That's exactly right. And we are that, but we want to take it to the next level. So if you, as they begin to play, and you guys want to come forward, if you want prayer to be healed, we want to pray for you. If you want to just move further into God and go further with that, great. If you feel that you need to go ahead and go, that's totally fine as well. I don't want, there's no condemnation in any of that whatsoever. 
But I do want to make it open to you. So if you are going to leave, please, you know, move quietly out, out to, the, to, the, to the lobby and, and, and exit. I, I hope with all of my heart that you understand what I believe God is, is, is calling us to. I just know that I want more of him and what he brings with him. Let's pray. Father, this morning we, we come to you, Lord God, and I, I pray even now, Lord Jesus, that Father you would touch the hearts and the minds of each person in this room. That God, that the words were spoken would bring change in their life. That those that want to be healed, Lord God, would be healed today. That those that want to go further with you, God, would have a fire flamed inside of them that would ignite them to go out and save the lost, to heal the sick and the brokenhearted, to move supernaturally in the giftings that you've given them. God, what we're asking for is just simply more of you. God, you're a river that flows out of each, side, each one of us. So God, let us have an effect on those around us. Let us be light in a dark place. I thank you for it, Lord Jesus. In your son's precious name, amen. So if you want to come forward and get prayer, that's great. If you want to just come forward for more of Jesus, that's fine. Otherwise, you're, you're free to, to leave as they begin to pray or sing. I want you to understand what happens.
Take and see. 